SEP Fanfic Readings presents Measure of a Man by In a Daze 22 Chapter 39 Ripple Effect December 21st, 2011 The crowd was alive. Dense and restless, it buzzed with energy, strengthening like living entities starving for information. It fanned out in every direction, and murmurs mixed with shuffling steps that echoed through the atrium. Day three of the ministry shutdown started much like the first two. The atrium was filled to capacity with citizens and employees alike. So many were disillusioned to the point of activism by the Wisingamot silence. Within the ministry's ranks, concerns rose while stagnation threatened every process and procedure. There was no official direction regarding media response to the outcry. Interdepartmental memos flew through crowded corridors, landing on teetering stacks that grew higher with each passing day. Everything from portkey applications to ministry grants to payroll hung in the balance of uncertainty. Each day, Kingsley stood in front of the window of the secret office overlooking the atrium. A picture of regal grace. He was contemplative and calm. On the first day, he'd arrived in beekeeping gear during the initial hour of the chaotic shutdown. Greeted by a room swarming with panicked restoration members and other leaders, he was in his element. Bees were like people— and like any good keeper, Kingsley knew he had no power over a hive. He was there to facilitate, and help bring together the parts for the good of the whole. Under his guidance, Harry and Hestia protected the protesters by stationing oars in the atrium. The larger the crowd, the easier it was to manipulate. And because secretaries knew everything, Kingsley tapped Dolores and her network to relay messages. The ministry's cafeteria was instructed to feed the employees as well as the protesters. There would be no penalties for those who left their desks to join the protests, and only added incentives for those who remained by their stations. When others began to question him, one statement silenced the room. As the voices of the unheard, protesters are just as vital as everyone here. That was the end of the discussion. But it triggered a thought. Kingsley consulted the lone member of the Wisingamot administration services who hadn't abandoned his post— a secretary named Adam followed Kingsley's instructions to the letter. He'd tapped Draco to assist Percy's legal team, while Percy was occupied in closed-door sessions with the Wisingamot and other core department heads, imploring them to do something to assuage the growing crowd. Percy was attempting to appeal to them through office channels, stating his case that it was their duty as the presiding oligarchy to allow both Tiberius and the ousted minister to be brought before the Council of Magical Law which meant a new interim minister needed to be appointed, and soon. Kingsley had been named early in the shutdown as a nominee for the position. Thanks to one of the translated laws Draco had previously set aside, due to its lack of prior relevance, they'd learned that should the incumbent be forcibly removed from office, the seven department heads could appoint an interim minister to hold office until the next election. All the Wisingamot had to do was allow the matter to be heard— but they couldn't even come to an agreement as to who to appoint as the new chief warlock. Hermione felt purposeless in the center of the firestorm, yet Kingsley insisted her presence was vital. Two task force members posing as protesters had flanked Hermione on either side as she walked the crowds, disguised as Parvati earlier that day. She talked with a protester, the shopkeeper who had lodged the first complaint against Tiberius, and listened to those who spoke freely to a journalist about not having any hope of improvement until the news broke about the Death Eater's involvement with Tiberius and the minister. And now that hope was in limbo. 
safely inside the room that had turned into Kingsley's headquarters. Hermione made tea and gave her opinion when asked. But there was a growing inkling that her presence held a deeper purpose she wasn't yet fully aware of. Still, Hermione remained, observed, and spoke all while a growing idea too radical for words sprouted and rooted deeper by the hour. Draco only chuckled when she first vocalized her idea. They'd finally gotten a moment alone after arriving back in London, delivering Scorpius to Daphne, and parting ways upon their arrival at the Ministry. "'Radical,' says the person who threatened the Wizengamot in pajamas. A throat-clearing dragged Hermione from her musing. "'Join me.' Kingsley didn't look away from the window in front of him. A moment of silence passed as Hermione moved to stand beside him. "'Like the crowd, your thoughts grow louder by the day.' "'So do yours,' she sighed. "'The stories I'm hearing from the protesters are disturbing. "'There's knowing about the pieces of corruption, "'and then there's hearing about it directly from the victims. "'That Tiberius was allowed to go so far "'shows that the Ministry is more broken than I realized.' "'Kingsley's sidelong glance was steeped in disappointment. "'They are in shackles, but there is still so much fear and uncertainty.' There is something to be said for strength in numbers. Hermione laced her fingers together. I've learned from our talks that fear is deceptive. It could turn rational people into fools, transform a crisis into a catastrophe, and create favorable conditions to grow and spread. No one was immune. We have government who rules with fear, but refuses to govern. Leaders stuck in preservation mindset and too afraid to lead. And a public who has been ignored for so long, they're now yelling— Kingsley's eyes swept the atrium. It's madness. The system was broken long before both wars, but now the chasm between the ministry and the people is vast and wide. The distrust continues to grow by the minute. Change isn't just needed. It is vital to the survival of this institution. The entire apple may not be spoiled yet, but the parts worth saving are nearly indistinguishable. I wouldn't say that. Hermione shifted on her heels. Save the heart of what the Ministry stands on and who it was built for, the magical community. We can fight for the fair treatment of all. The rest, I can't answer. You and I both know we are more idealistic than we care to admit, and far more so than most. You're right. And yet, these are questions I ask myself. Kingsley exhaled and rolled his shoulders. The Ministry has always been run with a firm hand and it is important to instill a semblance of control and competence early on. There is nothing wrong with strong leadership, but there is something wrong with a lack of transparency and accountability when cracks in the walls are inevitably exposed. I wonder where the balance will be between the current system and the more idealistic vision. It'll be up to you to answer that, and set the Ministry's course to the future. You've opened my eyes to the need of preservation within reason before— there can still be room for growth and change without upending everything. It's about finding the right balance. Hermione absently fixed the cuff of her white blouse. But it's not a quick task, nor is it suited for just one person. No, it is not. It will all take some time. Kingsley made a small noise. Balance is also one of the reasons I've asked you to come here today. Oh? Percy and the Corps Department heads have agreed that today will be the Wizengamot's final chance to do the right thing, which is why the private session was called so early in the day. They have no intention of letting another day pass without an answer. Hermione stopped. Do you know what they have planned? 
after the private session concludes, there is a public hearing, during which they plan to force the Wizengamot's hand by exposing the behaviors of the other members in the room. My fear is this will only create more distrust, and ultimately more inaction. He was right, of course. Hermione only knew a fraction of what had been uncovered from Cormac, and the things they allowed to happen under their watch. I would prefer a softer touch, Kingsley said. I have a few ideas of my own, but you seem to have one, too. As someone who has spoken to the protesters, I'd like to hear yours. I just think... Hermione bit her thumbnail while collecting her thoughts. We are all pawns. True statement. Draco's been teaching Scorpius chess, and more than once he's told him not to ignore the pawns. I think we've all been doing just that. We know the power held in numbers. Why haven't we been using it? Kingsley looked intrigued. I think the mistake is in their attempts to reason with the unreasonable. Hermione scanned the masses that appeared so small from where she stood. In all of this slow-paced bureaucracy with laws and petitions, we're missing the human element. It seems silly when that's what we're here for. How quickly do you think you can work? An hour. But I'll need Provardi and two task members, per her agreement with Draco about security going everywhere she went. No polyjuice this time. No. Hermione bit back a smile. I'll greet them as myself. The only person thriving in the midst of the Wizengamot's inaction was a smug Tiberius. Guarded and bound in yet another hearing that was predestined to end in an impasse, he casually listened to the law office's representative as he detailed the request for a speedy and public trial for both the minister and Tiberius. The corrupt bastard looked as though he'd already won. Each Wizengamot member seemed to ignore his presence by avoid looking in his direction, though Hermione suspected it wasn't out of strength. It was likely out of fear. Hermione sat in the back and observed, as was her right as a victim. A call before the start brought Padma to her spot between Hermione and Parvati. The vote they'd returned at the end was the same as it had been for the past two days. "'We will not press for a quick trial,' a spokesperson announced. Everyone in attendance, heads of departments and offices alike, rumbled. But in the midst of their discontentment, Percy turned to her. Hermione gave him a nod to proceed. "'If I may,' I'd like to make a statement for you all to give some thought in the coming days. The room fell silent as Percy stood. You are only making matters worse. Mr. Weasley, one of the Wizengamot members said, the decision has been made and this meeting is adjourned. A gavel rang out as the group began to rise, but Percy cleared his throat. I suppose one hearing is over, but there is another on the agenda, one scheduled by me. As the group curiously looked around, then at their schedulers, then slowly returned to their chairs, giving the only man standing varying looks of confusion. Percy paid them no mind, glancing at the parchment in his hand quickly before placing it back down. He needed a little time. If I may proceed, Tiberius and the minister may stay. Both men looked at their advocates, but only received shrugs in response. Hermione exchanged looks with Padma, who then glanced past her at Parvati, the latter sat back in her seat and crossed her legs with a conspiratorial smirk. "'I could give a speech.' Percy took his time, looking around at the crowd. "'I could call for action and make demands. But people have tried. I am not so inclined to waste my breath on anyone willing to punish themselves in the name of fear and self-preservation.' "'As an employee of the Ministry, Mr. Weasley, 
I am not standing before you as an employee. Not right now, at least. Percy paused, and silence settled heavily in the room. Right now, I am here as a messenger from you to the people you need to speak with, but have no way of reaching. I intend to address them the moment I walk out of here. All you have to do is tell me what you would like to tell them. No one said a thing. But once again, looks were being exchanged as Percy left behind his papers and walked in front of the seated thirty-nine. This is a public matter, no matter your wishes to keep it private. Your collective refusal to address those who wait in the atrium of the ministry, dedicated to serve the public you're supposed to be leading, is abhorrent. You can order me not to speak, but you can't actually stop me. The snap of Percy's shoes was the only break in the tense silence. What should I tell them about the reason behind your decision to do nothing? What should I tell the victims? Their families? Their friends? Should I speak of what I know, what I've investigated, and what I can prove? Whispers filled the air. Pages rustled as they turned. Chairs scraped against the floor. We, we could terminate you for insubordination, one of the members squeaked. Tiberius's smile grew slowly. His arrogance wouldn't keep him silent a moment longer. Mr. Weasley would never, wisely his advocate nudged him. You could, but there's one problem. Percy stood straighter. You have no grounds nor any proof. What authority will I be defying by speaking freely during a public meeting on a public matter? Hermione calmly pulled out her wand. Another member of the Wizengamot stood. As we have ruled, your belief that you answer to no one is not only incorrect, it is also damaging. Whether you delay it a week or a month, eventually we will all answer to the people. Even you, Tiberius. Cowardice will spare no one. Percy stopped and eyed them. What does he have on you all, I wonder? They knew. "'Mr. Weasley, this is a sham of a hearing. Shall we conclude for the day, since there is no substantial basis for this meeting?' the advocate for Tiberius said from his seat beside his shackled client. "'However rousing, the Wizengamot already decided to initiate a vote prior to your little show. I am certain that you will request another hearing tomorrow, where we will start this frivolous cycle once again.' "'If we must,' Percy said. "'But I should warn you.' I am prepared to book this room every day until they do their jobs. Harry slipped in and took a seat next to Padma. Are there any other comments before this meeting is adjourned? Nothing was said. This is absolutely ridiculous. Hermione's voice pierced the silence. I wouldn't believe it if I weren't witnessing it myself. Miss Grange, the fact is, you all are protecting a man who turned the other way when ten of your peers were executed. Hermione rose to her feet. He worked with Death Eaters for his personal gain, used his position and his own nephew to manipulate the system and fill his vault with galleons. He poisoned the halls with his tyranny and corruption. Even to this day, Tiberius is prepared to stay silent and unapologetically bring you all down with him, rather than face the consequences of his own actions. Yet you're too stubborn and afraid to see... Miss Granger... Tiberius's advocate interrupted. This isn't a trial. I'm aware. Hermione folded her arms and huffed. I won't say another word. Percy didn't schedule this meeting for himself. He scheduled it to allow the people to be heard for once. 
The doors opened, and a flood of protesters from the atrium filed in, all with visitors' badges, despite the Wizengamot members' protests. They packed the room before anyone could stop them. There were more beyond the doors, waiting their turn. Them. The people. Before you listen to what they have to say, I want to give you one last opportunity to speak. Percy gestured for the Wizengamot to address the crowd before returning to his seat. Tell them what you plan to do to make their lives better, and right their wrongs, and why you're concluding today's session like the first three, without doing anything at all. There was a shift in the air. Hermione looked over at Percy in the tense silence. As expected, it didn't seem like they were willing to share. When he nodded, she took a deep breath and started. The last time I was in this room, I told you all that you were responsible for the last thirteen years of governmental failures and the suffering it's led to, Hermione said. Now it's your time to answer to the people you swore to serve. But more than that, now is the time for you to answer to yourself. I think it would be best if you did that by listening to everyone here today, because your silence thus far speaks volumes. One voice amplified. One story. Each brave person stepped forward to air their losses and grievances, not only with Tiberius, but with other things they had failed to be delivered. Subsects of people that had been ignored since the war spoke about a life forgotten by a broken system and the Ministry's ignorance. The people who were harassed and fired unfairly, given Veritaserum against their will and without cause. The Aurors who still suffered from trauma and the families of the kidnapped and killed. Padma's wolves spoke about the laws that had been passed but not enforced, the prejudices that still existed, the help promised but undelivered. Padma had never looked more proud of the people she dedicated so much of her life to helping, a path she'd started on to honor a fallen friend. Testimonies went on for hours, well into the night with no breaks. The people would not be silenced. Hermione stepped out of the flue to the sight of Draco reading a book on the couch. Scorpius was fast asleep, wrapped in a blanket and cuddled against his father's chest with a thumb in his mouth. It looked as though they'd both tried to wait up for her, though only one had been successful. Everything she'd rushed home to tell them grew wings and flew from her mind, much like her heart. Draco met her eyes. Hi. Only then did she notice the puppy sleeping between his thigh and the arm of the sofa. Hi. Hermione didn't move, committing the visual to memory. Did he try to wait for me? Yes. I thought he was staying until tomorrow. He was, but he wrote in the notebook that he wanted to come home. Drago closed his book and shifted Scorpius, who snuffled in protest, but quickly settled back, breathing deeply. I saw it when I heard the news, so I left to get him. Zippy made dinner. I showed him the brochures for the school, and we worked on a few things. I hate that I missed it. She took off her cardigan. I've missed you both. Today was a success because of your radical idea. Yes, but perhaps it wasn't as radical as she thought. I only made them answer their people, to their faces. Tiberius' expression was priceless when the vote returned, his angry threat silenced by a well-timed charm. Are you going to stand there all night? I might, she confessed quietly. You two are a sight for tired eyes. In the end, Hermione moved, towing off the shoes she'd been wearing all day, and following him upstairs. 
After showering and changing, she peered over at the puppy sleeping in his crate before crawling into bed. Hermione reached over Draco to stroke the back of Scorpius's head before settling under the covers. Then she tucked herself into Draco's side. She closed her eyes when Draco kissed her forehead, and the tension of the past several days bled away. All of it could wait. The fight wasn't over. There was still so much to do. For tonight, Hermione celebrated progress by relaxing to both Draco's heartbeat and the weight of Scorpius's hand clutched in hers on his father's chest. She fell asleep to the sacred feeling of home. December 23, 2011 Mrs. Weasley delivered the jumpers just after lunch. Three were expected. The fourth was not. Hermione knew there weren't enough galleons in the world to convince Narcissa to wear hers, but she thanked Mrs. Weasley for the sentiment anyway. It was the thought that counted. She invited Molly to stay for tea, and they took it in the conservatory while the puppy napped in the sun and Scorpius meticulously arranged the bow on his father's wrapped Christmas gift. It was a painting of the night sky featuring the constellations they were both named for, depicted side by side in a way they could never truly be seen. Artistic interpretation. There was a second one she knew was for her already on the table in the corner of the conservatory, with their individual gifts for Scorpius. Once he was happy with the bow, his painting joined the others that would open Christmas morning. He ran off and returned with the children's dictionary, stretching out on the floor next to the fluffy puppy that seemed to grow bigger by the day, and flipping through the pages while petting his fur. Molly all but cooed at the sight, her smile softening when she returned her attention to Hermione. "'I'd ask how you've been, dear, but I don't think I need to. I can tell you're happy, if not a bit tired. It shows around the eyes.' Hermione nodded, feeling her cheeks warm. Last night they'd bundled up on the blankets in the field with charms to keep them warm, scanning the skies for the ursid meteor shower. She told Scorpius more stories of the stars while Draco had dozed. He was supposed to have the next few days off following their return from France— but an early morning skirmish between Ors and Death Eaters drew him out before breakfast to interview the captured. "'I hope you don't mind not hosting Christmas at the Borough this year.' "'Oh, not at all.' Molly's smile was contagious. "'Besides, moving in here makes sense, given all the new additions. Charlie will arrive by Portkey tonight, anyway, and rather than clean, I'll have time to make his favorites.' Soon after, Molly left to do just that. Hermione started preparing their meal when Scorpius nodded off after taking the puppy outside. Little A trailed after her for a bit before growing tired and snuggling up with the sleeping boy. Everything was in the oven when their dinner guests arrived. Teddy's magnetic presence woke both sleeping parties, and their reunion hug was too sweet for words. Both Puppy and Scorpius fell into the older boy's orbit, which was how Hermione ended up with two children circling her, one babbling endlessly about his term at school with his hair projecting his emotions, and the other content to listen. Andromeda looked on with amusement while holding the puppy Narcissa frowned at before petting tentatively, then more often as A charmed her. Draco's arrival was timed perfectly to the start of dinner, that was livelier than usual, given the teenager's monologue. "'Teddy, love, let someone else talk a bit, hmm?' Andromeda patted his hand. "'Before we got here, you were excited to talk to Scorpius.' His hair turned a soft shade of pink. "'Sorry, Nan.' It's okay. But the response didn't come from Andromeda. Narcissa's gasp and wide eyes made Scorpius tense and cover his face with his hands, sinking in his chair as if trying to disappear. Hermione reached to comfort him, but Draco was faster, whispering something that earned him a nod. 
He excused them both, while Teddy and Andromeda looked on in concern. Narcissa appeared stricken. I did not mean to alarm him. This happened sometimes. Hermione's heart ached for Narcissa. Not to worry. Draco will help him regroup. When they returned, Scorpius looked better, but instead of walking to his seat, he approached his grandmother's side in a move that seemed to surprise his father. Scorpius stared at his shoes before straightening to attention, as he once had so long ago. It was hard to decipher what he wanted from her, but Narcissa took it upon herself to step on the shaky bridge she'd been trying to construct between them. She rested both hands on his shoulders. "'I am,' Narcissa paused to soften her tone, "'I am happy to hear your voice.' However wrong Narcissa may have gone about it, this was always her goal, her wish. Scorpia cycled through a series of emotions before he leaned in and whispered, "'Hi.' With a small smile, he fled back to his seat, but for the rest of dinner, despite saying nothing else, Scorpius stared at his grandmother. Even though he held on to the end of her cardigan for the first time in months, Hermione thought it was less because something was wrong, and more because something was right. "'How are your marks?' Hermione asked Teddy. "'Oh!' Teddy's hair settled into a deep emerald green. "'I got an A in potions!' The excitement from him sparked joy from everyone, even Scorpius. Hermione was confused. "'I know it's the same mark, but it's not,' Teddy sighed. "'Last term I barely made an A. This term I almost got an E. And I would have, but I put too much leech juice in my shrinking solution on my exam and it turned orange at the last minute.' "'I'm sure you'll get an E the next term,' Hermione ruffled his hair. "'I will!' he looked at Draco. "'And I started using a clock to time my stirs just like you suggested in your letter.' Hermione was apparently the only one in shock following the statement. Draco had been writing to Teddy at Hogwarts and helping him with his techniques and potions? Once you get used to it, you won't need the clock, just like with the scale. Eventually, it'll just become natural. Draco pointedly ignored her stares. After dinner, we'll make the shrinking solution correctly, if you'd like. Teddy's hair turned Draco's shade of blonde, then flashed bright green in excitement. All better from his previous shock, Scorpius peered at his dad with big blue eyes before signing. "'Can I come?' Draco couldn't say no. When Hermione peeked in on them an hour later, the sight brought a grin to her face. She leaned against the doorway and just watched. Scorpius wore goggles almost too big for his face, barely able to move in the protective suit, and his gloved hand stuck out at an odd angle. He looked like a marshmallow with adorable stick limbs. Not that it deterred his excitement— on top of a stool, equipped with a stabilizing charm, he stood as tall as his cousin, and his attention was glued to the workstation, mouth shaped in a little O. Teddy was more focused than she'd ever seen him, listening closely to Draco's instructions as he added a dash of leech juice. All signs of previous distress were replaced by confidence and genuine interest. It was so different from the boy who'd been down on himself in July— when he did it correctly, and showed off how he had timed one revolution of his stirring rod to five ticks of the clock, Draco's stern expression slipped for a moment. He looked undeniably proud. Once the shrinking solution was properly viled, he absently laid a hand on the teenager's shoulder, and a look passed between them. Teddy smiled. "'Thanks for helping me.' Draco's hesitation with children was evident when he began cleaning up instead of accepting the appreciation. "'Do you—' Teddy's hair turned the exact shade of his father's. "'Do you think you can show me how to make wolfsbane? I—I I want to make one to keep—for my dad.' 
in remembrance. I don't think so. It's a complicated potion, and... Draco trailed off when Teddy's hair started to dim. His eyes cut to Scorpius, who hung on his every word. Sighing, Draco pinched the bridge of his nose. If you earn an E, I'll teach you. Teddy lit up. Really? Yes, and Granger will assist. Draco's eyes lifted to her like he'd known she was there all along. Not that she was trying to hide. Right? Of course. Teddy helped Scorpius off the stool, and he waddled to her, arms spread wide to show off his suit. Hermione couldn't help but chuckle. Your dad went a little overboard, huh? Her question earned a curt no from Draco, but Scorpius nodded with a toothy grin, and Teddy laughed too loud to deny it. Scorpius didn't seem to mind. Later, Teddy and Scorpius settled in for the night and watched a film in the living room. The puppy wedged between them, fast asleep after a long day. The corners of Hermione's lips quirked at the sight. "'Teddy's been trying to find his way here since he got off the train,' Andromeda chuckled, shaking her head fondly. "'Harry was there with security, which was a conversation in and of itself. He's missed home, I think, and it's been an easier adjustment than I expected having him home for Christmas.' "'Oh?' "'Narcissa has called him Draco a few times, but I explained everything in July, so he understands. He just talks to her.' I think his constant chatter is calming. A sad sort of amusement flashed across her features. She says that Draco was so much like Teddy at that age. Hermione thought of Draco Malfoy she knew in third year, the image of the same smiling boy talking at length to his mother, and how those two warring visuals were of the same person who'd grown into a drastically different man. I'd like Narcissa to stay in touch with him while Teddy's away. Andromeda stared absently at the boys on the other side of the room. I think it could be good for both of them. I'm sure they'd enjoy that. Scorpius might want to write to him, too, now that he knows his father does as well. Hermione started a kettle for tea. In fact, Draco created a way for him and Scorpius to communicate through these notebooks I bought them, and Albus and Scorpius use something similar to write and draw pictures to one another. I'm sure we can figure something out. I think he'd like that. Two cups in hand, Hermione turned to Andromeda. Tea? "'Please, the fruity blend, if you have it.' "'I haven't made any more of that,' she pulled a tin down from the cupboard. "'This is a peppermint blend. It's not too strong, but I know you don't care for peppermint tea.' The next tin felt light, too. "'This one's—' "'Oh, actually,' Andromeda appeared at the choices. "'I've grown rather fond of peppermint lately.' Odd. Andromeda's tastes were similar to her sister's. They were both stubborn and hardly veered. They liked their tea light and sweet.' I've started drinking a cup each day with a bit of honey. I've been told peppermint is good for the immune system. She wasn't wrong, but that didn't stop Hermione from squinting at Andromeda as she made her tea. Curiosity coiled around her consciousness, but the return of Draco and his mother distracted her. Both of their expressions were blank, but when Narcissa saw Andromeda, she visibly relaxed. Draco did not. There you are, Maida. She rushed to her sister's side. I cannot believe you left me alone in the dark with a stranger. I've got you, sissy. Andromeda paused for a moment, then apologized, eyeing her nephew. Let's go for a walk. Emotions flashed across Draco's face for a second before he sealed them away, but Hermione interpreted the swell of sentiment beneath the wind-battered surface. He was hurting, and her own heart ached in return. Losing his father had been a blur, 
and he hadn't gotten time to process it until long after the man was gone. But this was different. No matter how complex their relationship, losing his mother wasn't an occurrence he could look back on and label a singular event. It was a process that spanned an indeterminate timeline. The string of good days made it easy to forget that they weren't all that way. There weren't just good days and bad days. There were good and bad hours, good and bad minutes, good and bad seconds. And one day, one minute, one second, the timeline would reach its natural end. Every incident served as a painful reminder of the reality even hope could never let them forget. Wordlessly, Draco walked back to the conservatory, closing the door behind him with a soft click that reverberated in the quiet. Hermione found him staring into the darkness. She approached him from behind and wrapped her arms around his waist, pressing her cheek against his back. Draco exhaled. I'm fine. Their deceptive mantra was easy to speak when one of them felt anything but. Still, she tightened her grip. I'm fine, too. December 24th, 2011 Blaze always had impeccable timing. Following breakfast with Teddy and Narcissa, who had no recollection of the incident the previous night, the older witch and Hermione took a walk in the greenhouse that ended on a better note. But the tension was still rolling off of Draco when Hermione left to escort his mother home and talk to Charles about his patient's incident, while the healer took notes in the log he'd inherited from her. Hermione returned to find Teddy and Scorpius watering the plants in the conservatory, with the puppy following them around. She heard Draco's deep chuckle before she found him in the office, with a very familiar chair that looked exactly as gaudy as she remembered. But now it bore a very large, very red bow. Not that Hermione needed confirmation, but still she asked, "'Is that?' "'Yes.' "'Blaze?' "'Just left after delivering a few things.' Draco handed over the notes. "'Happy Christmas.' Hermione's face burned, but she couldn't suppress the growing prickle of humor. Do you think he definitely knows? December 25th, 2011. There were levels of melancholy. Draco Malfoy had experienced his fair share, yet, judging by his pinched expression, while pulling an invisible piece of lint off of the green D adorning his gray jumper, this one was the deepest. Draco looked like he'd hit rock bottom. "'Must I?' A glance to her left gave him the answer. "'Yes.' Scorpius's excitement was evident. With A at his side, adorably outfitted in a tiny green bow-tie, he alternated between forgetting and trying to paw at. Scorpius had been dressed in his blue and gold-lettered jumper and trousers for two hours. He'd been vibrating with anticipation the entire time. He didn't understand when Hermione explained why they were wearing the jumpers— but he seemed to like that everyone had one with the first letter of their name. Barely managing to refrain from rolling his eyes, Draco relented. Fine. Gifts were exchanged before sunrise. With sticking charms, Draco hung his son's constellation painting and her gift, too. It was a painting of Earth, from Scorpius and his father, though the boy had to glare at Draco until he gruffly admitted to helping his son with it. Narcissa's gift to Scorpius had been left the night before— a vial of shimmering liquid, a memory, something to remember her by. Scorpius didn't understand its significance, but Draco did, and he would make certain that his son did too when the time came. It took a few minutes for Scorpius to calm down from the excitement of his father's gift, 
an array of materials, delivered by Blaze, for his first climbing wall. But when he was ready, he settled on the floor to open hers. Hermione watched nervously, while the little boy meticulously peeled away the wrapping paper A paused with interest. Once uncovered, Scorpius picked up the large book with both hands. When he opened the cover, blue eyes narrowed slightly. Then he froze. There, on the first page, was a dried mint, a handwritten note from her about it, and the date she'd offered him the herb. The rest of the pages followed suit, telling the story of their journey, in dried herbs and petals from plants. Draco looked on as Scorpius flipped page to page, memory to memory, through mint the cactus, lavender, thyme, carnations he'd offered, blades of grass, and a piece of the blanket they'd laid on their first day in the sun, bits of each plants in the greenhouse, pictures she'd captured of Draco and Scorpius in the greenhouse in the last few weeks, one with him lifting Scorpius up to touch the budding almond tree, petals from the flowers he'd been greeting the day he'd spoken his first words. Everything he explored, everything he loved, everything that had drawn them closer, reminded him of home, made them whole. She tried to preserve their story. Do you like it? Hermione asked. Yes. Scorpius flipped to the end and frowned at the empty pages. There were many. And even more she could add if they ran out. Scorpius looked at her, confusion clear on his face. Well, we're not finished, are we? Understanding bloomed as Scorpius's smile grew. Then he shook his head. No, they weren't. There was more to see, more to do, and so much more to explore. And they would do it together. Draco took the puppy out while they hugged. Hermione only let go when he did, and they both ended up at the window. While on her knees, with Scorpius leaning against her, they watched Draco let A nose around for a spot, then praise him for going outside. Then he scooped the puppy up and Hermione smiled when he rubbed his head. Another hint that Draco was attached. Do you know the sign for puppy? He showed her quickly. Do you know the sign for Happy Christmas? Scorpius nodded brightly. Your dad showed you? Yes. Can you show me? He did it slowly the first two times. Happy Christmas, Hermione mimicked, but then added a third word by brushing her index finger across her chin. A word that made him freeze, eyes on her, unwavering. She didn't move while his face cycled through an array of emotions. Confusion, surprise, happiness. Boldly, Hermione signed the word again and again. Each time his smile grew wider. Do you mean it? His voice was soft, eyes full of emotion, and cheeks pinkening by the moment. Of course I do. It's my name for you, if you want. Hermione barely held back her own tears when he nodded enthusiastically, urging her to sign it again. Love had brightened every pathway in her life, and it had all started with him. Hermione brought her index finger across her chin one more time, signing the name that had belonged to him for longer than she realized. Son. There was a new addition on Draco's forefinger. The onyx band had no embellishments or jewels beyond the four small runes engraved in the stone that were too small to decipher. Hermione had first noticed it when he unwrapped his gift from Scorpius, then she'd stared at it while he listened to Teddy prattle on during Christmas breakfast, and she'd strained to read the runes during the call with her parents, who were enjoying a warm Christmas. 
Narcissa and Draco went outside to have a quiet moment alone and remember Lucius. She didn't find time to ask about the ring until Scorpius bundled up and took the increasingly energetic puppy outside with Teddy to run before everyone's arrival. Hermione left Andromeda and Narcissa watching the boys as they played just beyond the glass walls, whispering back and forth, and trading looks with the occasional chuckle. Wandering into the kitchen, she found Draco brewing himself a second cup of tea. She caught his curious side-eye before grazing the ring with her thumb, feeling the grooves of the runes as if she could translate them through touch. Alas, she couldn't. This is new. It is. A companion piece. Draco pulled something from his pocket, something she'd handed over weeks ago. To this. Her compass necklace now dangled from a new chain, delicate and slightly longer. Silently, he offered it to her, but Hermione turned, lifting her hair, and his fingers brushed her neck as he put it on. She touched the compass, tracing the new grooves on the back. Just before she could decipher anything, lips on her pulse point made her skin tingle. "'I made some updates,' Draco murmured. "'It's like my mother's, but it'll also act as a port key home should you need it. "'If ever she were lost—' "'Thank you.' Hermione turned around. I thought you and I were exchanging gifts later. This isn't your gift. Just something I needed to finish. A selfish project, if you will. I don't mind. I don't think I can wait until tonight anyway. She pulled out her wand, summoning a thick envelope Draco caught midair. I honestly had no idea what to get you. But, well, open it. And happy Christmas. Unfolding the parchment felt like it took an eternity— but Hermione counted the seconds it took Draco to read. One, ten, twenty, forty, sixty. At a hundred and twenty-three seconds, he looked up. He didn't move, only blinked. Stunned, silent. Hermione wrung her hands together. I... Kingsley asked me what I wanted out of all of this. Out of his return to aid the restoration, and, well, my first thought was you. I just... I thought this might be nice. It's his first decree as intern minister, and why it took so long for me to come home the other night. I asked him to hold off on executing it until I could tell you, or really, until I could show you this. Today, obviously, because it's... Well, I'm rambling. Sorry. What do you think? That was... Yeah. She smiled and looked down, tucking her hair behind her ears. I didn't know when there might be another chance to ask for something like this, it's not exactly a normal request. Draco kept flipping through the pages, face unreadable. But the manpower. I know the task force will help, and our friends and family, too. That earned her a look. Neville's been asking other professors for volunteers. It would be a collective effort. He just kept staring at the parchment like he couldn't believe it was real. This explains why Longbottom asked me if I had done research. I gave him copies. It'll be a combined effort between the Ministry and the University. There are students that want to be part of it, respectfully, of course, and once the fire is out, everyone will leave. Hermione had been adamant that this wouldn't be used as an experiment. It would be observation only, and all present had to be there to help. No one would be permitted to experiment, no test would be authorized of the ash, and nothing would be allowed to disturb the remains of his family home. Not unless Draco permitted it. Unsure if she was bracing for an argument or overstepping, Hermione shifted her weight. His silence drove her to keep talking. 
Neville's coordinating everything, with a tentative plan for the beginning of February. I understand if— Draco placed the parchment on the countertop. His eyes fell heavy on her. I love you. The sentiment was a blur rushed together, but his gaze was clear with sincerity. It wasn't a surprise, and she knew it to be true, but it was the first time he'd vocalized it, confirmation of a love they'd chosen each day and sustained with actions, both a tether and a weight, security, purpose. No theatrics, just certainty that built day by day, brick by brick, and yet three words still managed to render Hermione speechless. Draco scrubbed the back of his neck and looked off to the side as the corners of his lips curved into a nervous smile. Ironic that you give me my home back, just as I turn over the use of the land. What? Follow me. He took her hand and pulled her into her office, directing her to a folder on the desk, open for her to see. Sure enough, it was the ownership of the land. Signed over, sealed. The deal was already done. You told me once that there was more than one way to make a difference, that you preferred to make a large change on a small scale. I figured out a way to do that. I I don't understand. Only a fraction of the seeds from my family's greenhouse have been analyzed. Longbottom drafted a grant that was approved by the university, but they need land to begin the cultivation process. Something with a greenhouse and plenty of space. There's time to decide what to call it. What we... But your legacy... It was at that moment Hermione realized Draco wasn't giving anything up by turning over the manor's land. He was creating something new. The Christmas tree had been transplanted from the burrow. Decorated by the children earlier in the month, the sheer amount of baubles and charms and garland at the bottom contrasted the sparse top and made for an overall humorous sight. It was strange to be seated around the tree in an odd grouping of sofas and chairs that even Transfiguration couldn't match. Even stranger that the scene was staged in her greenhouse, which had been vented just enough to make sure it wasn't too warm for Weasley-made wool jumpers or too cold for comfort. Perfect even with everyone together. Initially, Scorpius was overwhelmed by the number of new faces, all labeled with different letters to help him keep track. Hermione thought he would join Albus and James, but he took one look around and bolted in a different direction. He ended up ducked behind her workstation, squatting low and shaking his head. She and Draco tried to coax him out, then Arthur, followed by Molly, and eventually Theo, too. After shooing her and Draco to join the others, Daphne took Al, James, and Teddy with her to help. In the end, it was Harry who appeared triumphant with Scorpius in his arms. Instead of bringing him to where she and Draco were waiting with tentative relief, he took him around the room to greet each new person, starting with Charlie and Bill, both of whom grinned when Scorpius politely offered his hand. Hermione's worries eased with each exchange. Scorpius smiled at Fleur's French greeting and fumbled his way through a high-five with Angelina and George. Hermione knew Draco didn't care what everyone thought of him. All that ever mattered to him was Scorpius's acceptance. And when it became clear each time that Scorpius looked to Harry for cues and reassurance during their trip around the room and found both, Draco's hand relaxed in hers. Still, Hermione didn't truly exhale until he joined Albus and the other children. Lily was already barefoot with Luna and Dominique, a new pair of cat ears atop her red hair. Teddy and Victoire were arguing, the former's hair cycling through rainbow tones, while Halia was petting A, with assistance from Dean. 
Draco left her side to hover closer, under the guise of talking to Theo, Dean, and Blaze, but his eyes tracked Scorpius while he settled in. Hermione looked around the busy room. Neville was helping Fleur, Arthur, and Percy decorate the enormous table that would all be sitting at soon. Andromeda, Cho, Susan, and Molly were making certain the long table of food was in order. Conversation between Parvati, Pansy, Ginny, and Daphne was spirited, but not as loud as the Quidditch talk between Ron, Padma, Angelina, Charlie, and Bill. In the middle of it all stood Narcissa, who was staring at the lilac jumper in her hands with a distasteful frown. She was the only one not wearing one, and her expression reminded Hermione very much of Draco when Albus said, well, anything. Harry joined her side, shoving his hands in his pockets. They stood together in silence until he started chuckling. I haven't had a minute to laugh about Malfoy wearing a Weasley jumper. Hermione cracked a smile. I didn't even have to bribe him. Scorpius? <laughs> yes. They both laughed, but Harry sighed with understanding. He, too, would do anything for his children. What was wrong? She looked on as Louis told a story aided by exaggerated hand gestures, while Scorpius, James, and Al listened with rapt attention. He wasn't sure if they would like him. Hermione turned. He said that? He didn't have to, Harry shrugged. Al gets self-conscious, too. I just guessed until he nodded. And guessing what was wrong got him out? No, Harry paused. We remembered. Hermione briefly thought of all the quiet moments Scorpius had, with his eyes shut and his hand over his heart. Then I told him that everyone in the jumpers was a part of a family that would accept him, just like they accepted both of us and they all wanted to meet him. Oh, Harry, she leaned against him. Thank you. Thank you for helping him. No need to thank me. Christmas dinner was chaotic, in a comfortingly familiar way. Artfully surrounded by flowers that gave the area an autumnal feel, the adults ate in one large table while the children sat together at a smaller one. The food was plentiful as the conversation. Bill announced that they were moving closer to the city. He'd accepted a liaison position at Gringotts, news which elated Arthur and Molly, and Dean had been promoted to work under him. Seated between Andromeda and Fleur, Narcissa seemed wholly lost, given the lack of formality, but she started to thaw after several long looks from Scorpius convinced her to put on her jumper. Hermione was surprised by Narcissa's behavior after that. The amount of time she spent talking to Molly— how she complimented Susan's braided hair, and when Victoire expressed an interest in society, she extended a personal invitation. When the Death Eater nonsense was over, as she put it, Narcissa offered to host Victoire at an event next summer. With the permission of her parents, of course. Fleur even wanted to come. "'I'll come along, too,' Ginny shrugged when Harry gave her a strange look. "'What? I've always been curious. Besides, I can wear some of the formal robes I've never even touched.' "'Escort me?' He rolled his eyes playfully, but leaned in. "'Always. Partners for life.' "'Malfoy will keep me entertained,' Harry said. Draco's fork was halfway to his mouth when he stopped. "'I have zero intention of attending.' "'You will if Hermione decides to go, won't you?' Ginny gave him a challenging look, and Harry followed up by poking him in the arm. Draco stared blankly across the table when Pansy and Daphne started laughing— a humored Dean suppressed his chuckle with a cough. Narcissa was now paying close attention, waiting for her son's response, but his eyes only narrowed. Then he kept eating. Ginny grinned. 
Mark Malfoy down for a yes. Aw, you two are friends, Luna announced with an airy smile. That made the childhood enemies sputter. Hermione chuckled until Draco glared at her. What? You didn't answer the question. You should already know. I think this would be a different experience, right? Now that you're ineligible. Her suspicions were confirmed through Narcissa's polite cough. It's part of your culture, and your family has been integral for decades. Why wouldn't I attend? If only to understand. We should think about it. Draco didn't answer one way or another. Not long later, he leaned over and murmured, You understand more than you realize. I... walk with me. The same three words he'd spoken when they were different people. Words that once held much less significance. Now armed with better understanding, warmth rose in her cheeks and she nodded. Hermione watched Draco from the corner of her eyes for the rest of the dinner and beyond. It wasn't his first dinner with her friends and found family, but it was the first time he'd been around so many of them at once. He met Bill, Fleur, Angelina, and Charlie. They'd likely been briefed beforehand, because no one was surprised by Draco's presence. Upon their arrival earlier, Angelina had given her a wagging brow that nearly made Hermione choke on air. Unsurprisingly, Draco was on his best behavior— he struck up a slow conversation with Charlie about dragon lore, George about the shop, talked to Floor in French, much to her enjoyment, and even spoke to Bill. Hermione didn't catch exactly what had been said, as she and Ginny were called over to the children's table to sort out a disagreement between Al, James, and Dominique. Together they explained that while Dominique was right and Scorpius wasn't related to them, he could still be their family. And that was all they wanted. "'We're all brothers!' Al declared with a victorious fist in the air. All in all, Christmas dinner ran smoothly. Mr. Weasley talked to everyone about everything. Pansy, who normally would have been overwhelmed, was drawn into a conversation by Ginny when Angelina mentioned wanting to renovate her home to sell. Hermione caught Mrs. Weasley smiling at Percy and Pansy. Her approval was quiet, likely having less to do with how happy Percy looked with his arm over the back of Pansy's chair, and more to do with the way Pansy looked back at her son. "'So?' George dragged the word out dramatically and looked over at Angelina, as she shoved him in the arm playfully. "'Angelina and I have something to tell you all. We're getting married!' The table erupted at the news. Angelina held up the hand she'd kept under the table up to that point, and while congratulations were overflowing, Hermione gave the bride-to-be a wide smile that was returned with an added nod, both remembering their last conversation. Angelina had made her choice." The presence of Draco's hand on Hermione's thigh was a quiet reminder that Hermione had done the same. She slid her hand over Draco's and slotted their fingers together. An odd look crossed his features, vanishing the moment she noticed it. Is everything okay? Yes. His hand never left as he struck up a conversation with Andromeda. Everyone began shifting as the meal dwindled down, and conversation broke out in smaller groups. Strange mixtures of people, as always— Neville, Padma, Dean, Daphne, Draco, Cho, Percy, and Andromeda were gathered elsewhere in the greenhouse, talking about something Hermione couldn't hear from where she remained with a few others still around the table. The kids went back to playing with the puppy around the tree. Blaze decided to use the greenhouse speakers, and soon music floated through the air. He was quick to offer his hand to Padma. Bill was led out by Fleur, and Arthur took a grinning and flushed Molly out. 
Narcissa accepted Theo's offer, and Ron fumbled with Susan, but it still earned him a dance for his troubles. Everyone's quiet surprise came when Charlie approached Parvati, who laughed him off at first. But the next time Hermione looked, they were dancing together. "'When's the wedding?' Ginny asked Angelina, leaning back against Harry with her feet up on the chair next to her. "'This time next year,' Angelina looked as radiant as her ring. "'I have a break that starts at the beginning of December.' "'What that means is we've got plenty of time to help plan,' Luna smiled brightly, then eyed Hermione. "'I love weddings!' She skipped off in the direction of Neville and dragged him onto the dance floor, slow dancing to a fast song. "'Cryptic as always,' Angelina shook her head. When they all gave her strange looks, she waved her hand in Luna's direction. "'When we came to see the children off, she told me the answer wasn't in the skies. I still don't know what that means.' Knowing what she knew now, Hermione had her own ideas, but she kept them to herself. "'Luna's odd,' Pansy finished her wine. "'But I distinctly remember her being the first one of you lot I didn't want to hex.' "'And here you are,' Ginny raised her glass, "'wearing a lovely Winsley jumper, and—and and about to seduce your brother into shagging me until I can't see.' With terror in her eyes, Harry nearly bolted from the table so fast Ginny nearly fell over without his weight keeping her upright. He threw back an apology but kept running. "'What the—look!' Pansy's grip tightened around her stem. "'I need thirty seconds.' "'I'm starting the clock,' Angelina held up a hand. "'And go!' Ginny groaned and rolled off her chair onto the floor. She didn't get up. Pansy didn't pay attention to their theatrics. "'While everyone else is happy and shagged out, I am deprived. Draco smiles and is relaxed, for fuck's sake.' He can probably write ten-inch essays on La Petite Mort the way Hermione's been. Fifteen seconds left. Pansy scowled at Hermione. Daphne's tired of listening to me whine. Um, Hermione tilted her head. Actually, I'm going to pause the clock. Angelina's mischievous grin, born from too much time with George, surely meant trouble. I'm listening. He's been buried in work, patient with me, and it's been far too bloody long. I am in dire need of a plan. So first, I'm going to... Ginny started aggressively humming. Oh, fucking... I am definitely intend to, multiple times. Pansy smiled wildly. Angelina started laughing, and Hermione couldn't help but join. Pansy's plan wasn't complex, or even all that original. Lingerie, locked flues, timed meals, and cleared calendars. Those were the keys to success, and she just needed to vent before wrapping her knuckles on the table with a satisfied grin. Ginny appeared from underneath. "'You can come out if you want. I'm finished.' She was the embodiment of a Cheshire cat. "'Well, not yet, but I'm certain Percy will make sure that I will be.' Ginny looked like she might be sick. "'Gross!' The song changed to something slower, and Luna and Neville began dancing as if it were upbeat. "'Why are you the way you are?' Ginny poured herself another glass of wine and finished it in three gulps. "'Because I'm—' Pansy perked up craning eyes above Hermione's head. Finished helping Blaze with the music, Draco? Hermione hadn't noticed his approach, but she felt his hand drop to her shoulder. It made her turn to the man giving a grinning pansy a dark look, but he knew better than to provoke her. Instead, he offered a hand that Hermione accepted, excusing herself. Draco Malfoy wanted his dance, and he got it in front of everyone. More than one. By the third, there were more pairs on the dance floor, swaying together as one. Worth wearing the jumper? Hermione gestured to everything around them, 
watching as he snorted and rolled his eyes. "'You'll never admit it, so I won't make you.' For that, Drago brought her so close she had to rest her cheek against his chest. His heart was racing. "'Thank you. For today, and all of this,' she murmured. "'I know you don't care much for Christmas.' "'I haven't in the past, no. But today has been... better than expected.' Draco's voice lowered to something private. Personal. He pulled her close. Though, I must confess, I'm ready for everyone to leave so we can talk. Is that a euphemism? Hermione chuckled. We've got plenty of time to talk tonight. Daphne's taking Scorpius. Dean's family is doing Boxing Day with them. I'll bring the mistletoe. I don't need mistletoe right now, do I? No. She lifted her head and found gray eyes drinking her in. "'Nor do you need to ask.' Draco cupped her cheek, leaning down to kiss her, and gradually deeping it until everything faded into thin air. The crowd around them came back in a rush of whistles. Hermione smiled against his lips, but didn't shy away. Not until Dean and Daphne cut in, and they parted ways. Dean steered Hermione off to the side. "'I take it that was the reason we spent the morning driving?' Hermione nodded. "'I was a little lost. Restless.' Thank you for being there. Any time. You were there for Daphne, for everyone. I would say it's returning the favor. But it's really what friends do. Something caught his eye above her head, and he smirked. Hermione turned to see Daphne slap Draco in the arm before he made a face that turned into the same sort of smile Ginny gave Ron whenever he was being annoying. Took me a long time to like him, and even longer to understand him. But she showed me. She showed me, too or pointed me in the right direction. But she wasn't the only one. Daphne had spoken of his past anger, Theo of his present duality, and Kingsley of his future potential. But it was Astoria's memory that served as a daily reminder of his capacity for growth and change, his ever-enduring compassion and heart. She'd given him the promise of a future in Scorpius, and died knowing he was worthy of the chances he was finally allowing himself to take, with Hermione by his side. Dean spun her around, pulling Hermione from her thoughts. He gifted us his house. Like, as a present. What? Hermione almost tripped over her own feet. Yeah. Dean was still reeling. He said he wouldn't need it. Something about sixteen being an even number? I don't really understand, but I suppose he and Scorpius intend to make their temporary move here permanent? I... yeah. Hermione thought back to their night spent dreaming about the blueprints. Draco had never said it outright, but it made more sense, as did the hour he spent on the other side of the house trying to envision where they might add a pool. We've talked about renovating a few things over time, too. Same for us. We're not thinking of moving in straight away. Nobody can think about anything until this Death Eater and Greyback situation is calmer. It'll take a bit for Draco to fully transfer ownership of the warding. I know Daphne wants to make a few changes, but she'll have room for her office, a place to store things she can't leave around, and I'll have space for an art studio. I bet Pansy will help you prepare to sell your home, too, if you need it. She's already offered. Dean took a deep breath. You know, we tried to turn him down, but he insisted. And by insisted, I mean he left through the flu before either of us could argue. That's why Daph's hitting him. Hermione's laughter faded when she saw Harry approach the pair. Something had happened based on their reaction to his news. Hermione didn't move until they had all made their way over to her and Dean. Draco's walls were high, Daphne looked troubled, and Harry was visibly angry. "'What happened?' Dean asked. 
The guards assigned to patrol Malfoy Manor were ambushed and killed. My subordinate is handling the scene, and Draco is sending the task force to assist. Death Eaters? Hermione knew the answer before asking. The clench of Draco's jaw only confirmed it. She frowned. On the anniversary of your father's death. It sounds like a message, and... Bait. Draco looked at Harry. They expect me to come. Will you? No. Draco's storm began to recede when she reached for him. I'll let them think they've won a battle, while the American team is in position to take out another safe house tomorrow morning in Scotland. Strategically closing them in, not letting emotions get in the way. As such was the art of war. Hermione sat up and rubbed her eyes, peeking at her clock. Half past eleven. Normally she would still be awake, but Draco had exhausted her earlier, working out enough pent-up energy and frustration to send her off to a deep, early sleep. It started in the conservatory after everyone left, then continued in the bath for a bit of a mutual therapy. Whatever Draco had wanted to discuss was forgotten in embarrassing fashion when she'd immediately succumbed to sleep siren song after letting Draco drag another orgasm out of her using nothing more than a natural talent. He expected to find him asleep, but he wasn't. After pulling on a robe and stepping into slippers, she ventured out of the bedroom. The conservatory was empty as well. Hermione frowned before turning her attention elsewhere. The brewing room. Draco was so concentrated on his potion that several minutes passed before he noticed her presence. She took her time watching him work, as smoke rose in swirling plumes from the cauldron. "'If you're going to watch, come closer.' His eyes met hers. "'And close the door.' Hermione did just that, but instead of coming to his side, she wandered to where he'd prepared everything, looking for hints of what he was brewing. Covering her mouth with a fist, she stifled a yawn. I only came here to figure out why the bed was cold. Couldn't sleep, and you needed the rest. Sorry about that. Don't apologize. The corners of his mouth quirked. It does wonders for my ego when you— You're incorrigible. Hermione rolled her eyes. What are you brewing? An experimental potion. For what purpose? To temporarily change someone's scent. Can you do that? Hopefully. Morally, its uses are gray at best. But as of yet, it's not illegal because it doesn't actually exist. I checked. The effect should last a day, if my calculations are correct. But it's difficult and dangerous to brew correctly. Draco glanced over his shoulder at her. You look worried. Don't be. It's not to mask your scent. It's to replicate it and draw him out. I'm still a little worried, but less about the legality and ethics of it all. She picked up a used vial, coated with white film inside. I know I said I wanted to be on offense with Greyback, but I'm not comfortable endangering everyone's lives to— If more people carry your scent, carefully, each target is less likely to be in danger, and we can use that to trap him strategically in one location— we can contain him on our terms, rather than react to him finding us. And then what? There's only one way to handle a feral animal. Kill it. Hermione shuddered. I just see this going wrong in so many ways. Finally at his side, she leaned on the countertop, eyes moving between the bubbling potion and the man brewing it. Let me guess. Reward outweighs risk in your eyes. Exactly. Draco turned to his task— It'll take a month to fully brew. And she would prepare in the meantime. What do you need from me? 
Draco stepped back, but the stirring rod continued its slow revolutions. A few drops of your blood, given willingly. If you think it'll work, Hermione offered her hand. It's part of my contingency plan. The last piece, the final problem. The process was quick, not painless, but just when she was about to reach for the Dittany, she'd summoned from the storage closet. Draco aimed his wand, closed his eyes, and healed her with the warm tingle of his magic. December 26, 2011 Kingsley's name appeared on her magic scheduler when Hermione was tending to the terrarium plants in the windowsill of her office. Draco saw it first while sorting through the initial reports from the earlier raid, and alerted her to it. When she asked about the time, his answer was quick, but there was a tinge of confusion in his voice. Now? Which was how they found themselves standing in Kingsley's living room. It was mid-morning, and Kingsley was in his beekeeping coveralls, entering his home the same moment they arrived. How are the bees today? Quiet. Kingsley hung his hat on the hook next to the door. A few weeks ago, I altered the charms to their lowest to signal it was time to rest for the winter. They have enough honey, are properly insulated and ventilated. There is no need for me to look in on them. They are doing as nature intended. I was merely outside planning for next year. I'm thinking of adding more hives and frames. Will you be able to manage all this, and— Of course. I have volunteers and assistants. A few of your friends have expressed interest in beekeeping, too. Kingsley picked up two teacups off the table before venturing into the kitchen, giving them both a look. I assume you both have eaten. We have. Tea, then. Yes, please. Hermione looked at Draco, who had yet to speak. Two cups would be lovely. When Kingsley made them all tea, Hermione quietly accepted the chair Draco held out before he sat next to her. They exchanged curious looks. What Kingsley wanted, they would find out when he was ready to tell them, and not a moment before. When the now interim minister joined them, he floated a tray with lemon and honey to the table, followed closely by their cups alongside his own. Draco added a dollop of honey to her tea, and they heard the man across from them make a small, humored noise. They both looked and found him watching their exchange. "'I heard you hosted Christmas.' Kingsley's eyes moved from Hermione to Draco, then back. "'We did?' Draco's tone was a little stiff. How did you know that? I quite enjoy starting my day with peppermint tea. Kingsley looked at Hermione with a knowing smile. It's good for the immune system, especially as one ages. Hermione gaped at him. Oh, I can't believe I didn't notice. Draco cleared his throat. Notice what, exactly? Andromeda and I have been enjoying each other's company. Warmth bloomed in Kingsley's expression. We've taken tea together regularly since meeting in the hospital. That long? She and Draco exchanged silent questions. Did you know? He confirmed his lack of knowledge with a quick headshake, but when Hermione thought back to the mystery teacup from her last visit, and Andromeda's comments about having someone to talk to during yet another journey of loss, things started making a little more sense. They found each other without looking. "'Why didn't you come with Andromeda for Christmas?' "'I considered it. "'Unfortunately, I was called away on pressing matters. "'A list of things have been left to fester "'due to the prior minister's ignorance. "'There were a lot of upcoming deadlines and treaties "'they were planning to let go, "'including the one with the Americans "'that would have quietly removed their assistance "'in our efforts against the Death Eaters.' "'Hermione didn't know that, "'but Draco didn't look surprised. 
I'll let you know how it feels to be back as interim minister, when I finish wrapping my head around the fiscal, economic, internal, external, domestic, and international disasters I've been left to sort through. What about the staff? The undersecretary? Hermione knew the workload would require substantial help. I thought perhaps you would keep them on until you decided on a new nominee. My staff consists of myself, Adam, Percy, and his team— who assist when they can, given the upcoming hearings. Dolores has been acting as my assistant, on loan from the Auror office. I've terminated both the senior and junior undersecretaries, and dismissed the old minister's staff. I have no space or tolerance for those who placate tyrants. A thought made Hermione sit up straighter. I could assist you temporarily to give you time to staff your office with those who align with your objectives. Just half days, though. I could help with the hiring process and vet the candidates. I can also assist with sorting through the debacle of paperwork. The legal department is overrun with Death Eater cases, and because I've been interpreting Draco's translations, I'm decently versed in the legal language. My only caveat is that I must be able to work from home when I have Scorpius, and I'll need to work around my therapy appointments. Kingsley studied her for a moment, lacing his hands together on the table in front of him. I would readily agree to all of your terms, and more, including compensation, if this is something you want. "'Temporarily, yes,' Hermione sipped her tea. "'I have no intentions of making this a permanent move. "'I plan to start classes in March. "'Donate my proposed salary to charity. "'There are plenty that need it. "'Draco thinks I'm bored, and he's right.' "'Her eyes slid to the man next to her. "'There was little argument on his face. "'What do you think? "'Maybe this is something we should discuss.' "'Kingsley excused himself from the room. "'You don't need to discuss every decision with me.' Draco's first comment caught her off guard. No, but this one is large enough to warrant a conversation. Maybe. He placed his teacup on the saucer. But you don't need permission. What more is there to consider that you haven't already? Hermione had considered everything, right down to Scorpius. But there was something else she wanted, even if she didn't need it. I'd like your opinion. I've always said you were suited for something other than healing. I stand by that. You would make an excellent undersecretary, which is essentially the role you would be assuming. Wait. Hermione narrowed her eyes at him. Weren't you the one who firmly argued against that? I recall a dramatic exit and everything. It was memorable. Draco turned, mouth quirked in amusement. I was arguing against their attempts to coerce you into taking a role you never asked for, but I never said you weren't suited. His hand came to rest on her thigh. Is this what you want to do? Until his office is staffed properly? Yes. Then why would I stop you? Draco turned his hand over when she rested hers on top. As if I ever could, anyway. I'm certain there's something about this you'll fight me over. Probably plenty, but not right now. His thumb swiped across her knuckles before she laced their fingers together. You are who you are. And beneath his words laid the truth. He had no intention of trying to change anything about her. "'What did you say about me again?' "'What did you say about me again?' Hermione pretended to think. "'Oh, that's right. Often frustrating, opinionated, and self-righteous to a fault.' "'Yes, but also a fighter.' His eyes were endless pools of fire, full of so much still yet undiscovered. "'A force. But a dutiful woman she is not.' No wonder she'd received so many exasperated looks, chuckling at her own ignorance. Hermione shook her head. 
There was no arguing with the person who loved and accepted all of her. The prevalent concern is that I'll burn myself out again. That won't happen. It was less a statement than a certainty. Simply for one reason. Draco wouldn't allow it, and neither would she. Even before Draco's arrival in her life, things had been different. Hermione now knew her limits. She wore a new lens that had different priorities. Having someone to come home to, a partner who understood her drive and need for independence, and a little boy who always made her want to enjoy the simplicity and the passage of time gave her the orbit she hadn't known she needed to slow down. When Kingsley returned, they agreed to terms and shook on it. She would start her temporary assignment the following week. Draco finished his tea, and they prepared to leave, or started to. But Kingsley cleared his throat. "'That was not my purpose in inviting you both here.' "'Oh?' As always, Hermione was intrigued. More so when Kingsley snapped his fingers and two bottles of honey came flying from the other room, one for each of them. "'The last honey of the season.' as a token of my appreciation for you both for giving me hope. Hermione accepted the gift and put them in her bag. I have been busy in my first week as interim minister. Another swirl of his wand brought forth a parcel of parchment. Kingsley caught it without effort and placed everything on the table between them. What's this? Hermione asked while Draco fished his glasses out of his pocket. Documentation of assets seized after the war. Some from the families of war criminals, and even some from the families of those ultimately found innocent. Did you know the Ministry quietly seized Malfoy Manor? The way Draco tensed meant the answer was no. They tried to put the fire out, if only to determine if they would find anything of use in the rubble. Tiberius knew the rumors, as anyone did, about the artifacts your father kept. I heard there was a time-turner. Rumor. Draco replied while skimming over a parchment, frowning more and more as he read. He looked at Kingsley and paused, tapping his finger on the table. "'If a time-turner is what you want, there is a prototype locked away in a vault in Siberia. It's different from the ones destroyed in the Ministry. This one can take someone back years.' "'What?' Kingsley and Hermione said in unison. "'My father only told me of its location to use as collateral.' Draco sat back and folded his arms. "'to save myself or my mother should anything happen. "'He didn't use it for himself, and I plan to take the knowledge to my grave. "'No one needs the power to rewrite history.' "'Silence fell as they all processed the information. "'There are other things,' Draco spoke again with clear difficulty. "'After the war, my father quietly moved a few collections "'to remote locations only he knew of. "'I've never looked, but did anyone else try? "'Tiberius had all of your father's information.' If he found anything of use, it would have been divulged and unearthed. Hermione crossed her legs. Has anyone tried to enter the wards? Two wizards died attempting to breach the stasis charms eight years ago. The entire incident was covered up, but it made them realize that everything, despite the stasis charms, would be reduced to ash once the fire was out. At some point, it seems they decided it wasn't in their best interest. Explains why my requests were denied. Draco's quiet anger was growing. You tried? Several times. Of course Hermione hadn't known. Nor did she have a way to. It won't be long now. No, it won't. Kingsley nodded. I plan to be there for the occasion. Draco blinked, then nodded once, and kept his eyes trained on the documents and his emotions under lock and key. He would pretend to be fine, but Hermione knew the day would be a tough one. 
met with both excitement and trepidation, dread and conviction, a fear and curiosity of the unknown. One final thing. Kingsley dug to the bottom of the parchment pile and pulled out one that appeared newer than the others. A Wizengamot seat is a lifelong appointment. Only death or retirement can remove someone. It's an elected position, but the one thing they did not change was the minister's final say. Hermione said nothing, unsure where the conversation was going. What did they change? Draco asked. Six years ago, they quietly passed a law allowing seated members to pass theirs to another in their family, but only if they retire. Which explains why Cormac was endlessly bragging about taking his uncle's role. Hermione hadn't said his name in weeks, but Percy's only comment was that he was enjoying getting every scrap of information from the man. She was quietly appreciating the media's obsession over his involvement. He was listed as Tiberius' successor, but since he didn't retire, his seat is not available for Cormac to assume, not even on an interim basis. It is a seat that I am allowed to fill until the elections in May. Kingsley looked from her to Draco. It's yours, but only if you want it. Hermione's eyes widened. Draco didn't speak for a full minute, but when he did find his voice, it was even. You forget who I am. Quite the opposite. I asked because of who you are. No one would ever trust a Malfoy in any position of power. I would. Once again, Hermione and Kingsley spoke as one. Why? Draco cleansed his jaw. I'm not good, Kingsley interjected. A good man never thinks he's good enough. A wise man never believes in anything before examining it himself. An intelligent man never has to prove he is intelligent. An impartial man does not influence the minds of others. These are the makings of a good judge. Why are you asking me? It's not at all to do with our friendship or our mutual respect. I am asking because I know you would be exceptional. Kingsley leveled him with a look that Draco ignored. He wouldn't look at her either, only in the direction of the door. But that mattered little to Kingsley when he had something to say. There are others on the wrong side of a bad decision who deserve the chance you received. Perhaps they are young and in need of a second chance to make a better future. Draco seemed to mull it over, his hand resting on hers, but in the end he shook his head. It's tempting. A position of power would be... But no. Even if I had an interest in politics, I wouldn't accept it, nor do I want that sort of power. I already have plans once I finish, and they lie outside of the ministry. Kingsley nodded. Fair enough. The lone parchment folded itself in half. Then I wish to know who you would choose to fill the seat I intended for you. December 31st, 2011 holes. One continuous edge that could be expanded or filled. Hermione gripped the handle of the first shovel she'd held in months and dug a hole under the artificial lights of the greenhouse. She dug and dug. Beads of sweat ran down her face. It hurt. Straining and trembling, determination eventually overtook pain. Susan would be upset, but Hermione could only exhale her relief at the physical proof of her accomplishment. It wasn't the deepest hole she'd ever dug, or the widest, but it served as a reconnection between herself and the earth. She placed a stasis charm over the area, leaving the hole open and a ground prepared for her next project inside. It was the last day of the year. 
the one day Hermione reserved to reflect on the past and plan for the future. But in an unexpected decision, she closed her eyes and had no desire to do either. She just breathed, in and out. Her lungs expanded and contracted. Her heartbeat settled as the world faded. Hermione opened her eyes, and Draco was there. She hadn't heard him enter, but there he was, standing beside her kneeling form. He offered her his hand, and when she accepted, he pulled her to her feet. After dusting the dirt from her knees, they walked in a silence that would have made Hermione feel awkward just six months prior. But the steady sink of their footsteps, coupled with the warmth and peace between them, created a comfortable moment. Hermione counted each time Draco looked over at her as if he wanted to speak, but kept changing his mind, and added it to the times he started and stopped. The number was oddly high, which meant he was nervous. "'You're up early,' Draco finally broke the silence when they reached the back of the greenhouse. "'I dug my first hole.' Hermione held out her dirty hand. It was still trembling when she brought it close to her chest, opening and closing her fist until it felt a little better. "'Why are you up?' Your father called to check in. Her parents' noon was their midnight, and the Grangers had called to wish them a happy new year. She didn't expect another call until at least after Scorpius got up, depending on how they'd spent their first day of the year in Fiji. Morning calls were purely for Scorpius's benefit, and he looked forward to one with her dad, but despite his excitement, the little boy was often too shy to speak, so Hermione served as a translator. Her dad never minded, though, and always made a point to talk as though Scorpius was listening. "'I'll just go wash my hands first, and—' "'Wait.' Draco gently caught her by the arm. Hermione watched as Draco aimed a cleansing spell on her hands, followed by a gentle healing spell that lessened the trembling. "'Thank you. I really should go and return his call, though.' "'No need. He called to check on me this morning.' "'Why?' "'To see if I'd given it to you.' "'It?' Draco exhaled and looked around before reaching into the pocket of his joggers— they were beneath the same set of trees that witnessed their silent dance in October, when the greenhouse, and by extension her world, was smaller, on the cusp of change. The word rattled in her ears once again when Draco showed her the ring. I am ready to finish this discussion. Intense eyes softened as he stepped closer. But I don't want this to be about my mother, or Scorpius, or anyone else. Just you and me. For the second time, dizzying emotions called her name as her heart raced to the rhythm of her zipping nerves. All she could do was stare with wide eyes at the familiar gold ring with two leaf-shaped emeralds around a simple diamond. This was no traditional heirloom. It wasn't a ring from the Malfoy family vaults. It was far more precious than she could ever have imagined. There, in a box right in front of her eyes, was a ring once worn by a grandmother she'd never known a piece of her family that her father had preserved, knowing he didn't have a son to pass it on to. Until now. I think your father knew I'd ask before I did. Draco huffed out a quiet laugh. Hermione did the same, though hers was far more shaky. I know it's quick. When he gave it to me, I thought months would pass, not weeks. It wasn't until you suggested a ceremony for my mother's memories that I began to want it for every reason except that. Draco. His name was the answer to a question she hadn't known she was asking until that moment. A hush settled over everything. 
her breath caught in her throat. Every spiraling thought slowed and faded to dust. I'm not asking for today, but when you're ready, put this ring on the correct finger. I don't need time to answer a question I've already asked you once. As always, Hermione was drawn to him like a pull of gravity. With her hand on his jaw, she settled his gaze. I chose you already. If you want this, ask me today. Ask me now. Draco's shock was visible, but he recovered with a slow smile and lowered himself to one knee. Love doesn't just sit there, like a stone. It has to be made, like bread, remade all the time, made new. Ursula Le Guin, 1989-1990